0: and rely on His promises every day. Here's the message. So this morning, we're going to look at a very well-known passage, which is um, known as the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke 10, 25 to 37. And I appreciate this is a very well-known story, but my prayer is that as we look at this today, we will look at it with, with fresh eyes. And my prayer is the Holy Spirit will teach us something new from this passage as we look at it um, from a different perspective. Because as I go through it, can I ask you to try and put yourself in the shoes of each of the individuals and try and see this parable and what was going on at the time through the perspective of the different characters that are within it examine their motives for the way in which they responded and compare them with our own motives at times in our lives when we're faced with with situations which could be similar so let me just pray first uh, and invite the lord just to speak to each of us as we go through this Father, I thank you for the, the opportunity to, to gather. and As we look at this passage, which is very well known, I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each person here, that you would show them something new, something that's on your heart for them, and that this passage would come alive. Your word says that the uh, the Bible, your word, is the living word, is life. And I do pray that it would... Uh, impart life to each of us today as we examine it. Okay, well I'm going to step through the, uh, the passage. So um, some of it will come up on the screen if you've got Bibles and you want to follow it in the Bibles. Then the first passage we're going to look at, or the passage we're looking at, is in, in Luke 10. And uh, we're just going to step through um, each of the, the verses. I'm not going to read the whole thing through, because I don't want any spoilers in this particular story, even though you know it very well. But we're going to just uh, go through each of the verse. So let's look, start off in verse um, 25 uh, of chapter 10 in the, uh, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. So it's quite clear, Luke made it clear in, as he started this chap, this teacher of the law, who spent his life poring over the scriptures to understand them, but to lay down the laws by which the uh, people of Israel had to live in order that they could stay in relationship with God. That was his job. So he's now testing Jesus. What was the response that he was expecting? Because he wouldn't have asked the question unless he knew the answer that he was expecting so that he could mark him saying, yes, you've got that right, or no, you've got it wrong. You see, the teachers of the law, they believe that the... The tribe of Israel needed to stay holy in in relationship with God, and there are consequences of not doing so. We read about in the Old Testament. But in order to make sure that you didn't trip up on anything, they created even more laws in order that there was a boundary around um, the thing that you weren't meant to be doing. And so, in many ways, in order to um, inherit eternal life, the answer he was probably looking for was, you must follow the law. That was how he was justifying his position. And if Jesus had said anything contrary to that, he could then turn around and say, aha, this is where your teaching is flawed. So how does Jesus respond? So in verse 26, Jesus turns around and says, what is written In the law, he replied, how do you read it? So Jesus replied with his response to a question, was a question. He was challenging this teacher of the law. The teacher of the law was expecting him to say something contrary to the law, but actually Jesus takes the law and says, what do you find in the law? What does it say in the law? Jesus knew what his motive is, Sometimes, when we're challenged by people about our faith, it's not just the question they're posing to us. What's the reason they're asking that question? That's what we really need to to dig into. So, how does he provide the answer? What does he say? Well, in verse 27 and 28, he said, He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. So the two points he makes, he's drawing from Old Testament. Love God, and we find that in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, and then love your neighbour, which we find in Leviticus 19 verse 18. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, they can really be summed up in those two commandments. Love God with all your being and love your neighbour. You know, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie. You know, those are all things that we do against somebody else. You can sum them up as as love your neighbour. Now, it's interesting, actually, when you look at Deuteronomy 6, 5, and we won't actually look at it uh, here, but it only covers three of the things that this teacher um, says. Because he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, which is your inner being, with all your strength, and with all your mind. In Deuteronomy, it doesn't include mind. And uh, this, uh, this teacher was evidently trying to intellectualize some of what we were, um, what we were asked to do. But just as an aside, this fact about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, that's, it's a pretty huge undertaking. It's a really tough thing to do. But, you know, that's how much God loves us. You know, when you look at the fact that he sent his son down here to die for us in in our place... That is huge. He's asking us to do no more than he's already done for each of us. That's how much he cares for us. Well, in verse 29, we then read that this, um, this teacher of the law wants, wanted to justify himself. He goes on and says, in fact, Jesus says, You have answered um, correctly, Jesus replied, Do this and you will live. And the teacher of the law then turns around and says, but he wanted to justify himself. And he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So why did he ask this question? And it's interesting that in order to justify himself, he focused on this second commandment. Well, we read in the various um, passages in the Gospels, the way in which the Pharisees and the teachers of law acted, they always kept themselves away from sinners because they didn't want to become unclean. So they separated themselves. They lived in isolation. And the only people they associated themselves with were were with other people who were trying to stay holy. And Jesus didn't. You know, he, he was happy to be um, sitting with with those that were regarded as unclean because he cared for them. And he wasn't worried about himself. He was concerned about them. And this is where one of the distinctions are in terms of the way in which the Pharisees and the teachers of law were living and the way in which Jesus and his disciples um, were living. So the teacher of the law was probably trying to challenge Jesus on this point. Maybe he was even trying to subtly expose Jesus in terms of the flaws in the way in which he was living his life. So Jesus then provides a parable in order to to give the response. And so we're going to do a little bit of geography now. So um, there should be a map of... uh, Oh, (laughs) it's a bit difficult to see. So I'll just point... I just want to give a bit of context. So you've got Jerusalem down here, and Galilee, where most of Jesus' ministry took place up here. And in Israel, you've got this coastal plain, which for the military around here was good chariot country, that's why the Philistines lived in that area. Then you've got this mountain range that runs pretty much um, north-south. And then you've got this valley down here with um, the Dead Sea being some 750 metres below sea level. Uh, Sorry, 400 uh, metres below sea level. And you've got Jerusalem here and Jericho here. And our parable talks about these two places. And Jericho is about 200 metres below sea level. Um, Jerusalem, because it's on top of a mountain, is about 750 metres. So you can see it's quite, quite a climb. Now, when the people from Galilee were going down to Jerusalem, the quickest way is through here. But that's through Samaria. And Samaria consists of the Samaritans. And when the tribe of Israel was exiled... Um, what happened was that the uh, Babylonians or Assyrians, I can't remember which one it was, they left a remnant in the country, mainly those who weren't the significant people who were leading country, and they moved other nations in. So there um, there was some interbreeding that took place, and also religions got mixed up. So the Samaritans had a mixture of Judaism and some other religions, and they weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem to, um, to worship God because they were regarded as unclean and they would defile Jerusalem. So there's quite a lot of animosity. So as a consequence, whenever people wanted to go from Galilee to Judea, they tended to go down this valley, which is very lush and lots of habitation around until you got to Jericho. And then you had to go through a really desert, arid area, climbing 1,000 um, yeah, metres to get to Jerusalem. And on the next picture, you'll see what it looks like. So this, this is actually um, a picture taken uh, looking halfway along the valley and Jericho is down here in this valley. <laughs> So you can see it's pretty rugged, and this is probably the, uh, the road that uh, the parable was talking about. So you can see that there are lots of places for bandits to hide and, uh, uh, and um, beat up wary travellers and rob them of their goods. And it's about 30, 20 to 30 miles, um, so it's a day's travel um, at a brisk pace because you didn't want to get caught out. So there's, there's the end of our history and geography lesson. So let's, uh, let's have a look at this, um, this parable. So in verse um, 31, we read, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead." A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, and passed by on the other side. I mean, the obvious question is, why didn't they stop? Why didn't they help? What prevented them from actually going and helping this guy? who was evidently in a really bad way. What was going through their minds at the time? Can you put yourself in that position? You're quickly scurrying along, evidently on your own, in this bandit country, and you see someone who has fallen foul of bandits. It's fairly recently, because he's still alive. What was, what was in their mind? Maybe they're very fearful that they might get caught. Maybe they were in a rush and they looked at what they would have to do and they thought, I'm just going to keep on going. I've got time to stop. I'm busy. I've got a meeting to go to. Maybe they were worried that if they were touching a man that was bleeding, they were going to become unclean. And then there was a shed load of cleaning ceremonies they would have to go through before they could even go into their home or associate with their friends again. What would their friends say if they ended up um, with this blood on them because they'd been helping someone? and probably someone below their station as well. I mean, it's all very inconvenient. Maybe they were thinking, well, actually, I don't have the skills to help this. I haven't done my first aid course. I haven't got any spare bandages. And therefore, I'm not really in a position to help. And actually, I'll probably die on route, so there's no point, because it's just a lot of hassle. maybe he was thinking about what God would, how God would look upon him because if he became unclean and unholy, then actually that's going to, going to affect his station. And after all, there's no one else around, so no one's really going to know if I don't help. So in many ways, their re- reactions, I would suggest, is a combination of why they couldn't take action and then justifying it in terms of why they shouldn't take action. And I'm sure if we think about some of the situations we've faced when we've been busy or maybe when we've seen someone who needs help or when we've seen a guy begging in the street, there's a lot of emotions that go through your mind. I know they go through my mind as I work out whether I should take any action or not. So, Jesus then provides another example. And it's interesting that when Jesus was talking about these two guys, he mentioned a priest and a Levite. He didn't embarrass the teacher of the law by suggesting one of them was a teacher of the law, because you've got various groups within there. There's always someone else that he was using in the example. But in verse um, 33, he says, But a Samaritan. And I've already explained that these are people who are despised by the Jews. Samaritans and Jews had nothing to do with each other. They despised each other. So he was considered very, very much the lowest of the low. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. In one of in the ESV translation <clears throat> and in the Amplified, it says, he was filled with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. See, the difference in these two Um, groups, or these three people, was that the Samaritan was filled with compassion. He was thinking only of the guy who'd been beaten up and um, robbed. He wasn't considering the impact on him. We can see that because he, he uses his own oil, he puts him on his own donkey. Later on we read that he pays for the man to stay in in the inn that he's taken to him he even stays with him overnight to to look after him and don't imagine the inn was just down the road as you saw in the picture there is nothing between Jerusalem and Jericho this really would have put this Samaritan out he would definitely have been late for his meeting And we read in verse 35 that he says, the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have had. So he only continued on his journey when he had done all that he could for this guy. And then he looked at, was ensured that he was going to be continued to be looked after um, when he had left. So what's the difference between the different characters that we're, re- we're reading about? The, te- the um, Levite and the priest were filled with thoughts of the impact on them their response, their motivation was focused on themselves and then they justified that response. But we read that the Samaritan was filled with compassion. His concern was driven by his, or his motives were driven by his concern for the person who was in need. You know, Colossians 3 verse 12 and this actually, this passage is actually um, <clears throat> titled, Rules for Holy Living. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Paul is reminding us of who we are in God. You know, we're loved by God so much that his son has died for us, and we're redeemed, we're brought back into a relationship with God. So he starts off by reminding us of who we are in God. And then there's an instruction clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In Galatians 5, verse 22, this is a passage talking about fruits of the Spirit. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we come into that relationship with God, our minds are transformed. We see things through a different lens. And we have that ability to show these things these qualities, these qualities, these fruits. You tell a tree what type of tree it is by its fruit. These things naturally come out of us because of who we are in God and the love that we have received from him. And we can pray for these things because some of these, what Jesus is challenging us to do in this parable is hard. It's really hard and we can pray for them. The issue here is our motivation. I just want to share a little um, example, and it's part of the journey that Tracy and I are on at the moment. Some of you may know that we're in the process of becoming um, foster carers. And this is a pretty scary prospect, um, it certainly is for me, uh, because, you know, our, our kids have left, and now we're going to be inviting um, <clears throat> other children into our home that have... have um, have had quite a rough time up to now, and we've got no idea what's going to happen. And you read lots of horror stories. But, you know, there are 70,000 children in foster care in Britain at the moment, in some 56,000 homes. And there's a need for about 1,000 foster carers every year just to to replace the turnover. At the moment, there are 30 kids in Wiltshire waiting for, for foster homes. And, you know, we, we can do something about it. You know, we've, we've got the time, we've got the, the size, we've got the spare rooms in, in our house. But we've been going down this journey preparing to, we, we go to panel next month um, where we'll get approved or not. Uh, but as we've been going down this journey, it's amazing what God has been doing in our hearts because it started off as, well, maybe something we ought to do um, to something that we really want to do as we've been learning more about the kids and some of the the, uh, the challenges that they have and, and just learning the skills on how to, to deal with it. And so the motivation is, you know, we can make a difference for these kids. You know, the Lord's done so much for us. We're in a position where actually we can reflect God's love to them and be instrumental, we pray, in turning um, lives around. And God can move through us to... Uh, and we can reflect his love and his, his grace. And what I'm learning is switching from duty to motivation. And you know, this is very much, you know, I believe, what God wants to do in, in us and why the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdom of the world because we're not wrapped up in ourselves. We, we're wrapped up in God... He has transformed our lives, and and that love that we've received, out of the overflow of that, we're then able to minister to others and have an impact in other people's lives. This is what God desires to do. This is the good news of the gospel. We don't have to do it on our own. He's with us every step of the way. And it's not a case of just doing the stuff. There is a joy in, in the activity as you see people um, grow and their lives turned around and then come into the fruit and the blessing of everything that God desires for, for the world. So the key thing I believe here is the motivation. The motivation is is love, our love for our neighbor. In this um, parable, Jesus turns round to the teacher of the law and says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, and it's very interesting how he replies. He doesn't say the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus then turned around and said, go and do likewise. In um, Matthew 25, Jesus tells another parable, very similar. And I just want to read it through, the first half of it. So Matthew 25, 31 to... You see, as we as we serve others, as we help others, we are loving God, and that's where these two commandments come together: that we love to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And so, as we're serving, whether it's on setup or helping someone who's struggling, whether it's bringing in a foster child, whether it's bandaging someone who's fallen over and come under hard times. We're actually doing that. We're blessing that person, but we're also blessing God because God loves that person so much. And when he sees us helping them, we're actually serving God as well. We're blessing him. You know, those of us who who have children... If, if one of my kids comes into some problems and I hear that someone's helped them out, I am so blessed by that person because I love my son and my daughters. And yet someone else has stepped in to help them when I wasn't able to or before I even knew about it. That verse 37 in Luke 10 is a challenge to us. Go and do likewise. Likewise. When we're faced with similar situations, you know, we have to ask ourselves what response that we've just read about in the parable most closely reflects the one that we tend to take. And I know I've certainly failed many, many times in the past. But Jesus doesn't leave us to flounder in our mistakes and in our sin. Romans 8. 1 to 2, says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about how the blood of Christ has forgiven us and redeemed us. And also what's, what's even greater is the fact that now that we are cleansed of our sins, the spirit of God can reside in us. And we're learning about the spirit in, in home groups at the moment. But the spirit enables us to do some th- to do the stuff that we struggle to do in our own strength. That Holy Spirit is instructing us and teaching us and enabling us. But we do need to be prepared to change because God won't force anything upon us. But if we're faced with those situations, he will give us the strength to come through it. Because God wants to see us all grow into this. He loves each of us with an extraordinary love. He loves the world with the same level of love but the amazing thing is he wants to bless them through us he wants us to go out there and do even greater things than Jesus did as he was wandering um, on the earth and during his time of our his ministry so this there is an opportunity for us and he wants to move in this church so that we're able to do it an opportunity to show the love of god to our neighbors that our motivation to doing things isn't out of duty but because there is a real compassion and that's the key point we do this stuff not out of guilty out of guilt but we do it because we genuinely care and that's what he, the change he wants to bring in our hearts but we do need to clothe ourselves with these things as well as we read in Colossians, So that we've got to take that step, but he will then enable us to get to that place. So my intent this morning is just to share my understanding of this, this passage. I'm certainly not trying to make anybody um, feel guilty, so please don't um, see it that way. But it's part of what I'm learning in this, because... The word of God says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And sometimes we're faced with situations where life really doesn't feel that way. But that's what the word of God says. And I believe it to be true. And so even in this area, God desires that we will be in the center of his his will. That he will be able to bless others through us. He desires that for this church. And I believe he wants to to challenge us and move us in this area that when we see need out there, our responses aren't on the inconvenience it's going to be to us, but actually we're just filled with compassion for that, that situation and we're able to step in and make an impact. There's wisdom needed in these situations as well, but I believe God just wants to change our hearts and draw us closer uh, into that relationship with him. And Satan will throw all terrible thoughts about what it will mean into our minds. But that's his lies. He's wanting to leave the world in the mess that it is. The Lord wants to change the world through each one of us. Each of us have a puddle of influence. And he wants, to be, he wants us to be reflecting him in that puddle of influence. I'm going to pray now and um, I just want to give each of us an opportunity to respond to this because it could be that God is challenging you in your heart. Maybe, maybe you're not in that place and that's absolutely fine. But I don't want to leave this opportunity without this uh, time, without an opportunity to respond if, if you feel that God is challenging you. So in a moment, I just want to pray for you if you um, sense that God is is challenging you at the moment, or there is, there is an area that you want to just start, start stepping into. And we're going to pray uh, in a moment, and I'm going to encourage everybody to, to bow their heads and close their eyes. But often, if God is saying something to us, it's really important to make a decision and make it clear that you want to do something about it. And so um, I'm going to ask you, while everybody else is not... Is just got their eyes closed, just to quietly stand, and I'm going to pray for you. So that you are making an indication to the Lord that, Father, I want to do something about this. I'm struggling in this area. I know you're, you're saying something to me, and I want to start on that journey of coming to the place that you want me to, to move to. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity just to, to make that, that physical sign to him. And I'm going to pray for you. And then there'll be the opportunity just to sit down. It's only me that will keep my eyes open. Um, because this is really between you and God. And please look upon it uh, in that way. So let's just, um, let's just uh, um, bow our heads first. And I'll say a simple prayer. And then I'll just invite people to stand if, if they wish to. There's no absolutely no compulsion between you and God. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much and you want us to just move into a closer relationship with you and you, you want to love us more, you want us to be sensitive to that and you also want to use us. So Father, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'll be with every person here and I just pray, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now into this room and I just pray that you will be speaking to each person here whether they stand in a moment or not that they will know your love for them that you'll just fill their hearts and their minds their souls that they'll know the truth of the gospel the reason Jesus why you died on the cross Lord please move in each one of us now. Can I invite you, if you just want to make a physical um, uh, gesture, just to stand, and, uh, and I'll then just pray, pray for you. And thank you. Thank you. Okay. Father, I, I want to thank you that you love each one of us. And I just want to pray for those who have... have Um, stood Lord you know in their hearts they want to show you that they really want to push forward in this area I do pray that you would fill them with your love that they would know even more how much um, you love them that where there are obstacles in their hearts to that understanding that you would just smash those out the way those lies out the way and that they would be so full of your love for them that it would overflow to others, that they would see others around them. They would see situations where they can step in through your lens. Holy Spirit, you came and dwell in each one of us so to help us in our walk with you. I just pray that uh, each of these folk who have stood that you will move in their lives uh, this week and they'll just have a great sense of that. Lord, I ask that in your holy name and Holy Spirit, I just invite you to move in their hearts and their minds and their lives right now. Amen.